Uh, that was the time of worship. We're now transitioning into it based on the Bible. Um, uh, the topic's already up on, on, on the screen. For the amount of education we've received and for the high amount of emphasis uh, our parents and our entire culture places on education, it's remarkable how little teaching and training we actually receive on life skills. You know, living in community, any form of community, whether it's a couple dating, whether it's marriage, whether it's a family, whether it's a classroom, a neighborhood, a playground, an office, every kind of community requires some basic life skills. They require some basic life virtues, some basic courtesies, and a certain minimum um, emotional quotient. The funny thing is these are never taught. Uh, let me take us back to our, our childhood. The only training in life skills we got was perhaps only corrective training. You know, as a child, when you grabbed somebody else's toy, our parents probably told us, no, no, it's wrong. It's bad to grab somebody else's toy. You see, that's corrective training. Uh, we were not told before. It was only when we made that error that we were taught. Or when another kid came home and you refused to share your toy, maybe you were taught, hey, sharing is good. You see, that is also corrective training. It's when you're not sharing, when you're holding on to your toy for dear life, your parent comes and teaches you that you must share. No, I don't want to share. Uh, you know, corrective training has, has limited use. These are life skills, and we're not really taught these life skills, life virtues well. And today I want to talk about one such life virtue, and it's a word which is probably alien to our hearts. I mean, we, we, I bet none of us have said this word even once in the last five years, forbearance. What does it even, what does it even mean? That's what I want to talk about uh, this, this morning. When I say the word forbearance, what kind of understanding, what kind of emotions, uh, what kind of remembrance does that word evoke? Uh, my guess is blank, absolutely uh, uh, nothing. And that just shows how underappreciated this crucial life virtue is. So as we unpack this, first allow me to read the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. And this is one of the key themes, forbearance is one of the key themes uh, in the passage. Uh, I'm reading from a book in the New Testament called Colossians, uh, written by an amazing person named Paul. Uh, I'm reading from chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. If you can keep some more uh, so that I don't have to strain my voice. Thank you, Sudhir. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, that's forbearance, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members 
of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to joy with gratitude in your hearts. Allow me to lead us in prayer as we look at God's Word. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that your love transforms us. You do not transform us with fear. You do not transform us with threats. But you transform us with love. And so this morning, Lord, as we look at your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will just so beautifully impress your love in our hearts that we will be changed forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I'd like to draw three things for us from this passage. First, what does forbearance really mean? Second, how, how does God exercise forbearance to us? And third, how we should exercise forbearance. What does forbearance really mean? How God exercises forbearance to us? And how we should exercise forbearance to one another? Let's look at the first thing. What does forbearance really mean? Straight up, let me say that forbearance does not mean forgiveness. Forbearance and forgiveness are very, very distinct virtues. And this passage makes that quite clear. Bear with one another, bear with each other, that's forbearance, and forgive one another if, you, if, you, if any of you has a grievance against someone. And this verse speaks of forbearance and forgiveness as two distinct virtues. You know, this sentence would make no sense if both the words meant the same thing. If both the words mean the same thing, this is what this verse would look like. Forgive one another and forgive one another. If you have a grievance against someone, it makes no sense. So clearly, when the Bible says, bear with one another, forbearance, and forgive one another, it's meaning two different things. So what exactly is forbearance? Forbearance is that one step before forgiveness. When someone who has hurt us is yet unable to see and own up to his offense against us, we exercise forbearance while waiting patiently and lovingly for that person to repent. We bear with that person till he repents. You know, it may not be a really big sin. It's not as if this person has slapped you or he's stolen your car. Uh, it's just a series of small little hurts, which is bound to happen in any community. It's bound to happen in marriage. It's, it's bound to happen in church. It's bound to happen at work. A series of small little hurts, you know, a sharp comment here. Uh, uh, maybe this person was a little too condescending to you. Or maybe he was just grumpy when you invited him home to, your part, to a party. Or when you went with this person, you know, he orders five dishes and you order only one, and he so graciously agrees that you should split the bill equally between the two of you. <laughs> or this one person who just loves to give you unsolicited advice, 
about how you should live your life. And he keeps doing it again and again, a series of small little hurts. Or maybe this person you know, keeps making really insensitive comments at gap groups which meet in people's homes through the, through the, through, through the week. You know, we, we all laugh at it, but you'll be surprised at how intensely we can begin to dislike a person because of these small little things, these small little hurts that kind of really add up to a lot. Hey, this happens in church. It happens in a community of godly people who love Jesus. In this passage, Paul is not talking to the Indian cricket team and saying, bear with one another. He's not talking to Virat Kohli and Rohit Sharma and their two wives, you know, and their wives saying, hey, hey, bear with each other, get along with... That's not what he's saying. He's not talking to colleagues at work. He's not talking to neighbors. Paul, in Colossians, in this passage, is talking to members of the, of the church of Jesus Christ. We do hurt each other. Now, we do rub each other the wrong way. And we need forbearance in a, in a church. And when these small little hurts pile up and, and we become upset with, with someone or you begin to dislike someone and it happens and you know it and you're probably thinking of three, four people in your mind right now. I am. <laughs> when we go through that journey, Paul is calling us bear with one another. That's forbearance. It's not yet forgiveness. Or it could be big hurts too. Maybe you were great friends with someone and, and, and maybe they messed it up and I'm sure you did too a little bit at least. And, and there's a big fallout. And maybe both of you are not yet ready for forgiveness. And that's where forbearance, which is a gospel virtue, comes into play. We are called to bear with one another in such circumstances. Forbearance is not yet forgiveness, but it is waiting lovingly and patiently for the offender to repent so that we can exercise forgiveness most meaningfully. Seen through the gospel lens, forbearance quite literally means bearing the weight of the sins of the offender. You are bearing the weight of his sins against you till God brings them to repentance. This is, this is pretty deep. As I said earlier, I'm willing to bet none of us ever used the word forbearance even once in the last five years. Maybe you've never used it uh, in your life. And so it's not, it's not language that is really familiar to us. And so allow me to uh, uh, translate forbearance, uh, which is a biblical word, in our language. And, and the phrase that I would best use, the, the colloquial phrase, the phrase we are comfortable, familiar with, that I would use to describe forbearance is to put up with someone. Putting up with someone. But let me hasten to add that there are many shades of putting up with someone. And not all shades of putting up with someone is actually biblical forbearance. Let's look at some of those shades. We can put up with someone with cold indifference. We've all done that in church. We've done that to our siblings. We've done that to our spouses. How's everything? Fine. Is something wrong, honey? Yeah, everything is okay. We're not fighting, but we are not talking either. And we kind of pull ourselves back. We withdraw 
from that relationship. We withdraw from our intimacy with that person. In such cases, this is not biblical forbearance. This kind of putting up with each other, you know, it's actually better to fight because then at least there's a chance of, of the conflict being resolved. So putting up with someone with cold indifference is not biblical forbearance. The second shade of forbearance is we can also put up with someone with hatred and anger on the inside. He's smiling nicely, how are you uh, uh, on, the, on the outside? But inside, you're hopping mad, boiling mad. That's, that's not forbearance either. Another shade of forbearance, we can put up with someone with a shrewd intent of hitting back at the right time. Apna time aega. Just, just hang on, man. My time's going to come, and I'll, I'll give, it, give it back to you. None of these shades of putting up with someone is biblical forbearance. True forbearance is putting up with someone patiently and with love, expecting that person to repent. Forbearance, forbearance is that posture of grace in which we wait without anger, or without malice, or without vengeance, but with love for the offender to repent for his sin against us. When the Bible says, love is patient, love is kind, forbearance is one of the things it means. True love will wait with patience and kindness for the offender to repent. You know, in our practical life as followers of Jesus, we do not really reflect on this virtue of forbearance often enough. But it's a very important doctrine that the apostles consistently taught the early church. In this passage, we, we see Paul is teaching the church at Colossians. But Paul also taught forbearance to the church at Ephesus. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. In meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing with one another in love. Clearly, this is the teaching. Paul also taught this to the church, the doctrine of forbearance to the church in Romans. We see that in chapter 2 and chapter 3. We're going to come to that in a little bit. Paul taught forbearance to his disciple Timothy. Peter also wrote about forbearance to, to in, in, in his letters, which are recorded for us in, in the Bible. So the virtue of forbearance is important to every church, to every community, to every friendship, to every marriage. And our church is not different either. We need to exercise forbearance with one another. Apart from genuine gospel forbearance with one another, no community can flourish. No church can be effective on mission together unless we are graciously putting up with one another because of the love of Christ. I know we are kind of speaking about forbearance, but I hope you've already experienced it before we are naming it this morning. I hope some of you have experienced this forbearance. I hope some of you have, have seen others bear the burden of your sins till you, you saw things differently and understood. I hope, even though we may not articulate forbearance, I hope many of us have extended this forbearance to others, putting up with the burden of their sins while we wait 
for them to repent. Before we move further, I must have, I must share one caveat. Forbearance is a gospel virtue to be exercised in the, in the flow of regular community. Forbearance is not applicable in extraordinary circumstances. If a person steals your iPhone 10, please don't wait in forbearance for him to repent. Go and take the phone back from him. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. You know, there are extraordinary circumstances that happen. I mean, you know, for example, when there is a sexual assault or harassment or abuse uh, or the offender causes serious bodily or emotional harm, there is no room for forbearance. You know, just like forgiveness when, you know, when someone's been sexually harassed and you don't go, the first thing you don't tell that person uh, is forgive the offender. That's not the first thing you tell. You help that person grieve. They've been sinned against. They must grieve. The second thing you do is you report that to the police. You do that so that the offender does not perpetrate the same crime against another. So in extraordinary circumstances like that, forgiveness is not the first response. Eventually, yes, God will give us the grave, grace to forgive, but we can't rush that process. We need to grieve. We need to find healing first. And so, in extraordinary circumstances, again, forbearance is not as applicable, just as even forgiveness is, is not. So that caveat is important. But in the regular flow of everyday community, where we all hurt each other, and I'll be surprised if I've not hurt every single one of you in some way or the other, or if I've not disappointed you, or if I've not angered you, that's, that's just going to happen in community, because we are all still messed up fallen people who are being sanctified in God's grace by the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. So forbearance is such an important life virtue in any community. Well, if forbearance is so important, where did this idea of forbearance actually originate? Who started it? And that brings us to the second thing I want to draw for us from the passage how God exercises forbearance to us. Forbearance is a core aspect of the very character of God. You know, we use some words to describe uh, the essence of who God is. God is loving. That's, that's core to who God is. God is merciful. God is just. God is holy. And forbearance is right up among those words that define the very core character of God. God is forbearing. I say this because this is how God revealed himself to Moses. Look at Exodus, which is a book in the Old Testament where God reveals himself, reveals his character, reveals his nature to a great leader named Moses. And now let me read that passage for us. This is from Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7. And God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Slow to anger. The phrase slow to anger speaks about the forbearance of God. He is slow to anger with us when we, when we sin. This is not the only place where the Bible talks about God's forbearance. There are plenty of instances all through the Bible. 
Paul uh, in Romans gives us a beautiful picture of how God was exercising forbearance towards men and women for centuries. Let me read that for us from Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. What this simply means is before Christ was crucified, before Christ was punished in our place for our sins, till that point in time, for the sins that people were doing against God, God was not yet punishing them because in his forbearance, he was waiting for Christ to be punished as their substitute. And so just as we look back at the, at, at the crucifixion of Christ and, and in his death and in his resurrection and we find salvation, they looked forward to the Messiah who would be crucified and would rise again from the dead to find salvation. So God was forbearing with, with them. Forbearance is not just an Old Testament thing and God's forbearance is in full play even in the New Testament context. And let me give us a couple of passages to understand how God's forbearance is, is at work even in the New Testament context. Uh, in Romans chapter 2, 4 is one example. Let me read that out for us. Or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness and forbearance is included in the kindness, is intended to lead you to repentance. You know, in your life and mine, even though you and I are sinning, even though oh, we spend like two and a half hours a day on Instagram, but don't have 10 minutes to read the Bible, even though uh, we are binge-watching Netflix and we can finish the series in two days, uh, you know, a 32-part series of one-hour episodes in two days, but we don't find 10 minutes to read the Bible. When we can watch an entire five-day test match without missing a ball, and we don't have 10 minutes to, to pray, uh, when we lie fluently, knowing we are lying and, 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 and not, not, not feel anything at all, I'm saying all this because I've done all this at some point of time or the other. And God ought to be punishing us on the spot for these. And yet in his forbearance, he's giving us, he's waiting in his forbearance for us to repent. And in this passage, Paul is basically warning us not to take God's forbearance for granted. Paul is warning us not to mock God's forbearance. He's saying, don't you know that God's forbearance is leading you to repentance. God is slow to anger. That doesn't mean he never gets angry. He's slow to anger. Uh, let me just give us one more passage this time from what Peter wrote. This is from 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, 
want everyone to come to repentance. God is patient with us so that we come to repentance. I mean, if God had to deal with all of your sins and mine in one instance, I mean, if this minute God decides, okay, it's about time, I've been patient, I'm going to fix all of, you know, Anand's sins today, I'm just going to be crushed under the weight of correction I'm going to receive from God. God is patient. He, he allows the journey of life to unfold. He uses the journey of life to sanctify us. He's gentle. He's tender. He doesn't condemn us. He's not impatient with us. Love is patient. Love is kind. And His forbearance, you and I, we're enjoying, we're experiencing the forbearance of God in Christ Jesus every single moment of our, of, of our lives. That's the second thing I wanted to unpack for us. How God exercises forbearance to us. And in the light of God's forbearance to us, the third and the last thing I want to look at this morning is how should we exercise forbearance to one another? And I want to talk very practically here. And I want to give us six very practical tips, all unpacked from the passage that we've read. The first thing I want to unpack for us is this. Every one of us need the forbearance and the forgiveness of others. Look at verse 13. Bear with each other. This is Paul talking to the entire community, to all of us. Bear with each other and forgive one another. This passage, Paul is not saying, bear with the difficult person and forgive them. This passage is assuming that all of us are difficult people. I mean, talk to the most loving husband and the most loving wife. I mean, from the outside, you know, the marriage might appear hot and rocking. It is so only because of forbearance and forgiveness. The happiest of couples will tell you that the husband is really difficult to live with, really difficult to put up with. And the wife will, the, the, the husband will tell you the wife is equally difficult to put up with. It is only forbearance and forgiveness that makes a marriage work, that makes any community work. The Bible assumes, when it says bear with each other, the Bible assumes all of us need forbearance. The Bible assumes all of us are difficult people. And, and the pastors, for example, are no exception. I mean, you need to bear with me, you need to put up with me at some level as much as I need to put up with you. Biblical forbearance, not in, the, not in the wrong way. And so if so far in this sermon you've been thinking about that difficult person who really needs your forbearance, you need some help. And so if that's what you've been feeling, please allow me to turn your gaze 180 degrees to look at yourself, as I turn my gaze to look at myself. If you're thinking of that difficult person who needs forbearance, let me assure you, you are difficult and I'm difficult in my own unique way. We all need forbearance. Uh, we might not realize it, we might not accept it, but we all need forbearance. That's the first thing. All of us need forbearance. So it's not a few difficult people the sermon is aimed at. It's meant for all of us. That's what the Bible says. That's what, that's what Paul assumes. 
The second very practical thing I want to draw for us from this passage is that the gospel permits only two responses. Only two responses. Forbearance and forgiveness. When someone grieves you, look at that verse again. The scenario is someone has grieved you. And the Bible says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. So it gives us only two responses. Forgiveness or forbearance. Sulking is not an option. The Bible doesn't give us that option. Avoiding that person who's hurt you is not an option. Ignoring that person is, is not an option. Being angry with that person is not an option. Hating that person is not an option. You know, not liking his or her Instagram stories or, or posts because he's hurt you is not an option. You know, smirking every time you see something on Instagram is not an option. And, and please don't be offended by the language I'm going to use. Uh, but I'm, going to, I'm not using it in a derogatory way, but I'm seeing it in a matter-of-fact way to bring home a point. Bitching about that person to your close friend or your spouse is not an option. The Bible, the Gospel, does not give us those options to respond when someone hurts us. It gives us only two options. We forbear that hurt. We show forbearance with that person or we extend forgiveness to that person. Jesus the gospel gives us only two options. The third, and I think this is really important, I found this very helpful in my journey. The third practical tip. When the other person is not repenting, forgiveness may not be healthy. Think about it. I mean, don't, don't rush, rush to assume, rush to assumptions, but hear me out. I really began appreciating the place and the value of beauty uh, and beauty of forbearance only when I realized that it's actually unhealthy for us to forgive someone in some circumstances. And I, said, I say this carefully, so please bear with me, bear with me. When someone has wronged us and that person is not repenting because he doesn't want to repent or he simply cannot see his sin, Forgiving that person is, is, is very unhelpful. It's very unhelpful for that person and it's very unhelpful for you. It's very unhelpful for that person because your forgiveness means nothing to him or her. Your forgiveness is not going to transform him. Your forgiveness, on the contrary, is actually going to encourage him to continue in his sin because you're just forgiving. It's unhelpful for you because it's really going to mess up your emotions. Are you going to forgive? And he or she is not going to repent and he's going to keep doing the same sin against you again and again and again and you're going to get just so frustrated until one day you're, you're really going to explore. You know, I, I, some time ago, I uh, would often try to be this super spiritual person. You have to forgive everyone. And of course, you have to forgive everyone because Christ forgave us. I'm not uh, minimizing that in any way. But I would kind of force that forgiveness uh, or I would pretend I'm forgiven a person while subconsciously I'm still retaining uh, that hurt against them. And I would bottle up, a bottle up, bottle up when this person is sinning against me again and again and again. And then one day I would kind of really uh, explore. You know, so hasty forgiveness did neither of us any good at all. On the other hand, forbearance is that step before forgiveness. You see, 
in my forbearance, I am still bearing the burden of that person's sin. And it's, it's a godly virtue. In my forbearance, it's not that I'm hating him, it's not that I'm angry with him as I established earlier, but I'm waiting, I'm holding the burden, bearing, it really means bearing his sin. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> It really means bearing that person's sin while we wait patiently, lovingly for God to bring that person to forgiveness. So the practice of biblical forbearance protects us from fake forgiveness. It protects us from shallow forgiveness. An initial season of forbearance makes my eventual forgiveness real and beautiful and prevents me from creating fake peace in community through shallow forgiveness. Let me say that again. An initial season of forbearance makes my eventual forgiveness real and beautiful and prevents me from creating fake peace in the community through shallow forgiveness. The fifth practical trip, tip that I want to draw for us from this passage is forbearance does count the cost of sin, but it doesn't hold it against the offender. Forbearance does count the full cost of the sin, but it doesn't hold it against the, the offender. I, I really want to help us develop a, a, a biblically accurate understanding of forbearance. Forbearance is not, is not ignoring another person's sin. It's not minimizing it. Forbearance is not justifying a sin. Forbearance is not defending another person's sin. Forbearance is not pretending that this person has not sinned against you. Forbearance is not creating and living in a make-believe world where everyone is happy with everyone else. Forbearance is not hugging a person and blowing air kisses when you actually feel like driving a dagger into our stomach. That's not forbearance. When I extend true biblical gospel forbearance, I acknowledge, I take stock this person has grieved me. This is how I feel. I feel offended. I, I feel sinned against. I cost of that sin, but I don't hold it against the offender. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for God to bring that person to repentance. When we are extending forbearance, we are acting in line with the character of God. Nothing can make a marriage more beautiful than forbearance. Knowing, being patient, being patient, being patient. And when, when the right time comes, sharing with one another in love, each other's faults. That's the fifth practical tip. The sixth and last practical tip I want to draw for us as we, as we live on. I do really believe uh, as a church, for any church, not just us, uh, forbearance is such an important value. The last practical tip is the goal of forbearance is forgiveness. The goal of forbearance, the reason we bear with someone is to eventually forgive.
forgive that. I'm, I'm going to be honest here. We are all vulnerable to sin. And I'm sure, I'm certain that the time will come when we will all use forbearance as an excuse to withhold forgiveness. Please, please, please don't use this sermon as an excuse not to forgive people. And my greatest fear in preaching this sermon is this, that I'm afraid that not just you, even I, will use forbearance as a license to withhold forgiveness. You know, forbearance is not an escape route to avoid forgiving someone who sinned against us. Genuine forbearance is always a posture of intent, a desire, even a longing and a prayer to forgive. The, 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 most, I mean, the most powerful emotions of our heart, what's, what's really happening in this heart is we want to forgive that person. The only reason we are not forgiving that person yet is it's not yet meaningful to him. And so we wait till God helps that person see his or her sin so we can release uh, forgiveness. Paul, again, describes this beautifully uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 to 20. Allow me to read that for us. Uh, it's not there on the screen, but allow me to read that, and I'll read that slowly. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 to 20. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. True forbearance will invite the enemy and have a meal with him. True forbearance will invite the enemy and have a drink with him. True forbearance will withdraw in cold indifference, but true forbearance will move forward in warm fellowship. Not yet forgiving, but forbearing. And your, Paul, as Paul says in this passage, your gracious posture of forbearance towards that person is going to accelerate his or her repentance. It's going to, God's going to use you as a tool to bring that person to repentance. You know, everything I've been saying, it's not easy. I'll be the first one to admit it. It's not easy at all. You know, both forbearance and forgiveness come at a cost. Sure, that person has repented, whether it is in forgiveness or, or forbearance, of course that person has repented, but you've still borne the cost. He or she has still sinned against you. He or she has still harmed you. And so in true forgiving, forgiveness or in true forbearance, you absorb that cost of sin. You've been sinned against. You take that and you don't retaliate. You see, True forgiveness and true forbearance involves us paying the price for the other person's sin. How do we find the power to live this consistently day after day in every community that God has called us to be part of? The answer is there in the passage, verse 13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as Jesus forgave you. Forgive as God. 
How did God forgive us? God forgave us by bearing the cost of our sins upon his son Christ Jesus. God didn't forgive us by ignoring our sin. God didn't forgive us by pretending that we didn't sin. Uh, God didn't forgive us by minimizing our sin. God didn't forgive us by lowering his standard of holiness so he can overlook our sin. That's not how God forgave us. God forgave us by paying the price for our sins. That's a song that we sung. He paid, Jesus paid the price for our sins. The only thing, the only thing in this world that will enable us to extend true forgiveness and true forbearance to any person is to experience God's forbearance to us and to experience God's forgiveness of us in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you this. If I take my gaze off Christ Jesus for one day, you're not going to want me as your pastor. My wife is not going to want me as a husband. My children are not going to want me as, as their father. I take my gaze off Jesus for one minute, for one day. I cannot extend forgiveness or forbearance. The only way I experience the power of God to extend forbearance or forgiveness to another is by acknowledging my sins and remembering that God has extended forbearance and forgiveness to me in Christ Jesus. Let's pray and then we move into communion. Father, we thank you, Lord. Uh, Lord, I pray by faith in the name of Christ Jesus for every one of us here and even those of us who are not here that your Holy Spirit would turn every one of us into champions of forbearance, Lord. Not because we are good people, not because of the good intentions we are going to may develop by listening to the sermon, but we pray that we will become champions of forbearance by the power of your Holy Spirit. And even now, Lord, as we move into communion, may these emblems be the power of God bringing transformation in our hearts in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.